Yeah, g'day. I'm Josh. I'm in fourth year primary year. Uh, and I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Um, yeah, which you'll find in the middle of your booklet. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Good afternoon. My name's Richard. Uh, I've been here longer than most of you have been alive. <laughs> but I have the enormous privilege of speaking to you for the next three weeks on what we know in the Bible is called the Book of Acts. And it's great to have you here as we do this through most of this semester. And if I begin, uh, given that we speak from this thing called the Bible, uh, which we believe here at the Uni Bible Group, is actually written by God himself. It's important that we actually ask him for help. So I'm going to do that by praying and asking God to help me to speak well, because I'm sure you'd all like that, wouldn't you? But praying that we might listen carefully as well. Uh, and if you're the praying kind, then please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather here in this place and enabling us to find this very room and to hear your word. And we pray now that you might help me to teach it faithfully, help us all to understand it and to respond in a manner that is truly pleasing to you. Father, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, what's your dream? What is it that you long for in life? Well, on one level, the answer is obvious, isn't it? It's to be enrolled at Wollongong University. <laughs> That's clearly the case for you. And not just being enrolled at Wollongong University, but also being able to find the best coffee on campus, 
uh, the best food, aka the cheapest food on campus, <laughs> and also how to spend as little time as possible on campus and pass. That's <laughs> a dream, isn't it? Uh, that is a dream, by the way, frankly speaking, but we're going to talk about that another time. There is an ad by the National Australia Bank in which they asked a group of people what they really wanted in life. Wait for it. The answers they gave included opening up a chicken shop, making a movie, being an extra in a beach scene. <laughs> and one guy actually said, never sits in his car. That was their dream. And that was after a week of pondering what it is that they really wanted off the You can check it out, NAB, right? Uh, some clicks there. What is it that you dream about in life? I googled it as well, as you do these days, and someone wrote, my biggest dream is to create a life where every day is nothing less than a dream. <laughs> Learning new things, meeting new people, traveling to unexplored places, doing something that's terrifying, yet exciting, trying out new cuisines, reading great books, listening to the best music, owning a house with a garden. What's your dream? Does any of that track with something of your dream? I'm led to believe that because you are millennials, it's far bigger than that, because you want to change the world. But more of that next week. The first Christian disciples, who Jesus called apostles, also had a dream. In this book, known as the book of Acts, we have a record of their testimony. Except there wasn't 12 apostles, there were only 11 at this time, because Judas had actually suicide. Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. There are now 11, and the apostles have a dream. But let's learn something about the apostles before we look at their dream. So if you're here for the first time, our normal custom is to have the Bible reading on the left-hand side. But we'd love you to bring your own Bibles if you own one. But if you don't, it's here for you. And we generally work through the English Standard Version because we think that you can handle slightly harder English at university. It doesn't read as well sometimes. Sometimes it reads like Yoda, you know, kind of backwards. But we'll cope with that because what really is important is how accurate it is. And we think it's a very accurate version. And have a look there at verse 1. Verse 1 of the book of Acts, what we know as the book of Acts. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This first book that was written refers to the biography of Jesus, a biography of Jesus' life according to a doctor and historian, a man named Luke. And therefore what we have in front of us here written in the book of Acts is his second book. The second volume, Luke and Acts, as it were, are really two volumes of one big story. And both of them are written to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was a fairly common name in those days. We don't know exactly who he is, but if you break up the name in Greek, it's Theos. Anybody know what Theos means? God. Philos? Friend. Love, it's love. It's loved by God is really what the name is, right? So it's a fairly um, common name of those days, so Theophilus, loved by God. We don't know exactly who he is, common name, but in his first book, Luke said at the very beginning that he wrote to give 
Theophilus certainty about what he was taught concerning Jesus. Certainty about what he was taught concerning Jesus. I heard news of a dear friend these last few days who's been a Christian for a few years now, but is really struggling with doubt concerning Jesus. Given the numbers that are here, my guess is that some of you may be struggling with doubt. You may have grown up in a Christian family. You may have been involved in a really healthy church or been to a gap year like year 13 or something like that. Whatever the case is, it just may be that you're struggling with doubt. And if that's the case, can I say that it is just so wonderful that you're here? Because there is no greater certainty than to come afresh again to hear the actions of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. What he began to do and to teach, as we learn about in his first book, right until the time that he ascended to heaven. To this first volume, which is known as Luke's biography, we have in this fancy thing called Uncover, lovely moleskin band thing, so hip for uni students. <laughs> we would love to read this first volume with you, if that's where you're at. We'd love to read this first volume with you if you're not sure about whether Christianity is true or not. Let's see if you could read here if that's you too. And we hope that you keep on coming, and those of you who know that you are certain, keep inviting your friends to such a place, because we want to read something like this first volume with you. Okay. So, it's up for grabs, and we can talk to you more about that. It's called Uncover Look, which is really just the biography of uh, Jesus from the perspective of this same author who wrote this second volume. And here in this second volume, we learn that the apostles were with him, with Jesus, that is, the entire time. Look at uh, verse 3, or the small number 3 there. And it's Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That is, Jesus was with these 11 apostles here for 40 days after he rose from the dead. They saw him, they ate with him, they heard him, they especially heard him speak about this thing called the kingdom of God. As an aside, do you note that other religions generally regard their founder as having completed their ministry in their lifetime? Even though their teachings continue, well, their ministry ends when they end, as it were. Isn't that the case with the Buddha, Gautama the Buddha? Isn't that the case with Muhammad, the so-called prophet? Not so with Jesus. That's the unique thing about Jesus, you see. Because Luke says Jesus only began his ministry, his teaching, in his first biography of that we know. This second book, the book of Acts, records what Jesus continues to do and teach by his spirit through his apostles. For the claim of the Bible is that Jesus continues his ministry now. Because Jesus is alive now. We may be seated here in a place that no one else knew existed until today. <laughs> but Jesus is in heaven now. If you could peer into heaven itself, you would see Jesus seated at the right hand of his Father, 
enthroned as king of his kingdom. Do you believe that? Because if you really do, it changes your life. If you don't, I'm really glad that you're here to discover more. Jesus rules as the king of his kingdom. That's why the apostles dared to dream. See, look at verse 6, the small number 6. So when they had come together, the 11 apostles, when they come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? That was their dream. But what does that mean? Now, whether you've read the Bible a lot or not doesn't really matter. Because I'm going to ask you now, because we're all grown up university students now, to speak to the person next to you for a minute. Preferably with someone that you haven't met before. That'd be a nice thing to do. So turn just the one person next to you and ask each other, what's this dream about? What does it mean to restore the kingdom to Israel? I'll give you a minute to do that. Go for it. One minute. One of the reasons we get you to talk with each other, and we're going to do that often through everything that we do, is because we want to make sure that the Bible is the supreme authority in all matters of life, faith, and conduct. Yeah? It's not me, even though you might be tempted to think so, but that's not true in the slightest, is it? The Word of God is the authority, and we want you to work it out from the text itself. Now, what do you think? Over here, I'll ask this wonderful group over here. What do you think, anybody? The, the disciples met when they're saying they were restoring or hoping for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. Any thoughts? Yes, Jemima. Uh, we were thinking they might have thinking at the time the Romans ruled Israel and they're like, well, Jesus has come and gone and the Romans are still in charge. What's right. going on? Right, so, so come and restore the kingdom in the sense of get rid of the Romans and start ruling Israel from there. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thank you. Anybody else thought that? Similar thoughts? Yes? Do you agree? Anybody agree with Jemima? Okay. Anybody disagree with Jemima? You're about to. She's got a very thick skin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Sorry. <laughs> it's ideological conflict, right? Not personal. Ideological conflict. Anybody else want to compliment that thought at all? Anybody else want to say anything? What does it mean to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's their dream. Are you going to do this? Guess this is what we're longing for. Yes, bring back the earthly kingdom that they had before. Right. Under David and Solomon. Yeah, yeah. So the earthly kingdom under uh, these guys named David and Solomon who were kings in the Old Testament time. And David ruled, well, Solomon actually ruled at a time, about, about roughly a thousand years before Jesus walked this earth. This huge kingdom at that time. Yeah, I, I wonder whether that's right. That is, they thought about a territorial kingdom that you can locate on a map, you know, like the United Kingdom. Oh, United <laughs> Kingdom. <laughs> Brexit says something about a United Kingdom, doesn't it? But the United Kingdom is England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. You, you skipped that. That was the thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> England, Ireland, George VI, who is the father of, anybody know? Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you. Wow, you are very educated people here. <laughs> uh, Queen Elizabeth Her father, when he was crowned, he was given the title King of the United Kingdom and the Dominions of the British Commonwealth. That was huge. 
That's you. In other words, he ruled all those nations, including Australia, from London. That was his rule. Now, that's the apostle's dream as well. For Jesus, a territorial kingdom that centered on Israel with Jesus seated on his throne in Jerusalem. That was their dream, you see. And I wonder whether, like me, you're thinking, oh, those silly disciples. I mean, they're so dark, aren't they? They're so stupid. All along, they're always stupid. <laughs> but I want to suggest to you they weren't all that stupid. They weren't all that silly, really. See, God himself spoke of such a dream. There's this guy named Isaiah in what we call the Old Testament part of the Bible. He writes this, and he's, he's a prophet, right? He writes this, It shall come to pass in the latter days, note, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord God out of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, that was the dream. But it wasn't a dream, it was a prophecy. A prophecy from one of Israel's greatest prophets, Isaiah. And speaking of, a mountain, a mountain of the Lord that would rise up. Why a mountain? A mountain is the place where heaven and earth meet, as it were. That's where so many other religions have mountains and things like mountains. But in this case, it's a metaphorical thing, isn't it? A metaphorical thing referring to a place where God's kingdom, as it were, would center on Jerusalem. And all the nations would come to this place. And God would rule from there, from Zion, from Jerusalem. See, it, it is the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. I don't think the disciples are all that dark, really. Small wonder that at the beginning of Luke's first book, we read of a man named Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. Luke chapter 2. Or a woman named Anna waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 2. It's there in his first volume. See, the apostles, I put to you, rightly, rightly, dreamt of a time when Jesus, as God's anointed king, would usher in the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Even Jesus himself spoke of a kingdom to his disciples in these terms. Look at the next slide. I assign to you, who are the you? The twelve disciples at the time, the twelve apostles. He says, I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Do you see what he's saying there? For the apostles to dream about a territorial kingdom ruled by Jesus from Jerusalem in which they would judge alongside him, that was totally understandable. And it involved food. <laughs> Table. It's great stuff, isn't it? It's right. It wasn't daft of them. They were not being all that silly. Lord, were you at this time restored the kingdom to Israel? Well, come back to Jesus' answer, though. In chapter 1, in verse 7. So it's in the outline. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Jesus said to them, 
It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has a dream. What's his dream? His dream is brought to you by the letter W. <laughs> Waiting, witnesses, and world. And there in your outline. Waiting, witnesses, and world. First involves waiting. See, Jesus didn't deny the apostles' expectation of restoring the kingdom to Israel. He endorsed it. But he did correct some things. Firstly, he corrected their sense of timing. It's not for you to know the time. See, we often want things to happen immediately, and that's what they were hoping for, the restoration of the kingdom immediately, in their presence. But that's not the case, is it? Everything happens for us immediately in our time, doesn't it? That's, that's the millennial thing, isn't it? That's what everybody tells me, but that's also me. If you want anything, you get it instantly, don't you? You get notifications on your phone, instant. How did you know that this room was going to be this room for us? You got it on Facebook immediately. How do you know if events are on? You get it immediately into the notification. If you want to buy something, you buy it online immediately. You want clothes? Bang, you push a button. You want pizza? Bang, you push a button. You want a date? Bang, you just push a button. You just swipe right and bang, you've got a date. It's incredible that the world that we live in, isn't it? It's kind of immediate. There's no need to. If you want a date, you don't have to go, oh, will she, won't she, or... Can I have that coffee? Oh, does she like coffee? Does he like coffee? Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go through that long. Uh, I just swipe right. Bang. <laughs> it's just instant. We live in an instant generation. But we've got to be patient. God's timing isn't our timing. But it's not just a millennial thing. It was a disciple the restoration of the kingdom to Israel wasn't going to happen immediately. The apostles had to wait. In part, that's why, after Jesus goes to heaven, the angels say to them, if you go down to verse 11, the small number 11 in that part of the Bible, see it written there, it says, and said, men of Galilee, these are men talking, so these angels, angelic beings, talking to the 11 disciples. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, could it be, could it be that after seeing Jesus ascend into heaven, these 11 disciples, now 11 apostles, were waiting right there and then for the king to be restored? Right there. Then Jesus is going, okay, the king's going to come, the king's going to come, I'm just going to wait here, I'm going to wait here. Is that what's going on? Possibly. Either way, the apostles had to wait. It wasn't for them to know exactly when it would happen. And waiting involves trusting Jesus to keep his word. Waiting means trusting his timing, confident that his timing is always the best time. That's worth taking on board as an aside. Patience is a virtue. And for we who are, and there's some kernels of truth to that understanding of our desires. And it's just worth remembering that God's timing is always the best timing, even if it's not my time. 
for whatever it is that you long for. You know, my suspicion is that some of you in upper years just can't wait to get out of here. You want to get to that whatever job, or some of you might be, I don't know, in that state where something big might happen soon called a wedding. You know, I just can't wait. I just can't wait. But God's time is always the best time. Trust Him. Come back. Waiting was part of this dream. Secondly, witnesses. Jesus' dream involved witnesses. But you will be my witnesses, says Jesus. But what kind of witnesses are we talking about? At the end of chapter 1, we're told that the apostles needed a twelfth man. Oh, that was funny for cricket people. A 12th man. Someone to replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Right? But what qualifications are required for someone to replace Judas? Anybody remember? Shout out if you remember. What are the qualifications you needed? Filled with the Spirit. Sorry? Filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit? With them from the beginning. Sorry? With them from the very beginning. With them from the very beginning. Yeah. Okay, let's see what Luke says. This is what he says. So, this is not printed there, but this is just later on in chapter 1. We just couldn't fit everything in there. Chapter 1, verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us, the eleven, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. You see, it's from the time of John's baptism right up to the ascension. Someone who was there the whole time, that person, that's the prerequisite that's required to become a witness to replace Judas. But there were a number of people who fitted these, these prerequisites. A number of eyewitnesses to choose from. And if you are familiar with the account the apostles actually brought forward a short list of two people. Justice. Anybody know the name of the other one? <laughs> Matthias. Matthias, that's right. And remember how Matthias gets chosen? By casting lots. Yes. But Jesus knows who he is, so they cast lots. And Jesus chose... Matthias, out of the two. That's why Matthias is known as the patron saint of lotteries. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Please note, only one of those eyewitnesses technically became a witness. They couldn't have 13 or 14, they had to have 12. So they only have one, even though two had prerequisites, probably more. But only one of them fills the spot. There has to be 12 first. The only quarter of 12. And only the 12 are actually witnesses. That is, it's a technical term reserved for the 12 apostles. Did you know that? See, I understand the same thing applies in a court of law. So some incredibly bright former law student told me this. There may be several eyewitnesses to a crime scene. But only the eyewitness who testifies in a court of law becomes technically a witness. Isn't that interesting? It's the same thing here. 
There are a whole stack of eyewitnesses who had those three requisites, but only one of them technically became a witness. It's not that no one else could testify to these events. Many others did. In the book of Acts itself, Stephen, Philip, Paul, Lydia. But the twelve apostles uniquely represent Israel's witness regarding the kingdom. That bloke named Isaiah in the Old Testament, he spoke about it this way. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble, and God says to them, speaking of Israel, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed where there, there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. You see, the people of Israel for God were his witnesses to the nations. It's a technical term. A technical term that is reserved for, well, his people. They were to testify that God is God, the king of his kingdom. And Jesus fulfills the divine function of appointing his own witnesses to the nations. There had to be 12 of them because 12 was a symbolic number of Israel. There were 12 brothers who became the 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes, and now, of course, the 12 apostles who uniquely represent Israel as witnesses to the nations. So please note, technically, you and I are not witnesses of Jesus. We don't witness for Jesus, technically. Now, we get what we mean by that. We mean we testify to but technically we're not, right? Unless you're one of the twelve, technically, you can never be a Jehovah's Witness. Don't use that as an apology, by the way, when you speak to you know, I'm, not, I'm just talking technically, theologically. Right? There's no point saying, you're not a witness, but I slammed your... I'm not saying Don't do that. Love them. Talk to them about Jesus. But technically, we're not witnesses. What are we? We are people who testify to the witness of the apostles in the scriptures. We testify to their witness. We're not witnesses ourselves, technically, theologically. But if you use the word, don't worry, we weren't virtue at a state. <laughs> Maybe. Jesus' dream involved waiting and witnesses, and finally, to the world. To the world. Look at verse 8 again. Verse 8. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus' witnesses were to be his spirit-empowered witnesses, uniquely representing Israel to the nations. But note the order in which he goes out from Jerusalem, firstly, the place where God prophesies back in Isaiah. Secondly, I put to you Judea and Samaria as the one region. So it's not two different places. They are different places, but he's actually talking about them as one region. The one region which is the reunified Israel. Remember, Samaria were, was basically the ten northern tribes, and Judah were the two southern tribes. So we're really talking about one region. And then the ends of the earth, the nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
And as you read the book of Acts, this second volume that Luke writes, is exactly what happens. Firstly, the people testify, the, the disciples, the apostles, the witnesses witness as apostles in Jerusalem. We're going to see that next week and the week after. And then they go to the region of Judea, Samaria. In fact, they go to Samaria first before Judea. Isn't that interesting? Unless you talk about Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem, they go to Samaria first, which makes Judea, Samaria really the one region, and then the ends of the earth. Because it's all about the world, you see. You see what Jesus' dream ultimately consists of? It does involve the kingdom being restored to Israel, but not as the apostles expected. Rather, here is, I put to you, a summary for the book of Acts. This is my summary for the book of Acts. In God's timing, it consists of Jesus's, Jesus establishing his rule from heaven as king over all the nations through his apostles. That's a mouthful, so I'll say it again. Here is my summary regarding restoring the kingdom to Israel. In God's timing, Jesus establishing his rule from heaven as king over all the nations, beginning with his apostles. Beginning with his apostles. And the kingdom will ultimately be restored when Jesus returns to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's described as the new Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? But it's not Jerusalem the place geographically is Jerusalem is described as heaven itself. The whole world will be a new Jerusalem, not just the geographical Jerusalem. That's why we don't go back to Jerusalem to run things in conference. Although there is a conference being held in Jerusalem this year. But, um, uh, but that's why we, we don't think that everything goes there. No, we think of the whole world. And we're here at the ends of the earth. But until then, here at the ends of the earth, here in Australia at the ends of the earth, at the end of the University of Wollongong in this lecture theatre, God will establish his rule as his people testify to the witness of the apostles, to all the nations, that Jesus is Lord because he died and rose again. So as we conclude, what is your dream? As you begin this year at the University of Wollongong, whether it's first year or your final, I do hope that you will learn new things. I, really do. I, I hope you'll meet lots of new people. Even do something that is terrifying yet exciting, like study. <laughs> but I do hope, I do hope you see that you're caught up in this dream of Jesus, irrespective. We're all caught up in Jesus' dream. The question is how we're going to be caught up in it. Are you involved? Because this dream is much bigger than the latest world tragedy or what happens to Barnaby Joyce or who won at the Winter Olympics or who recently got engaged or what happens to you. The fact that Jesus rules this world, that he rules heaven and earth, means that all these things, including you and your dreams, are in his hands. So let me ask you, do your dreams align with Jesus' dreams? 
do you know, firstly, Jesus as your King, your Lord, as number one of your life? Does He rule your life? Because if you're not sure, I'm so glad that you're here to find out. Please keep coming back. Please talk to one of us. As I mentioned right at the beginning, we'd love to read this first volume of Luke with you called Uncover, which is uncovering what Luke says about Jesus to help you know the certainty regarding Jesus who he is. And we'll do that. And please write that down. We hope all of you will write something down thoughts, etc. But you can tick whatever appropriate box that you. I can't even read that, but you can read whatever. But you know, say I'd like to read uncover. I'd like to read this one. And now, whether you're you're investigating for the first time or whether you're, you're going through doubts, please don't worry about that. We'd just like to meet you and read this with you. So just write that down. In fact, this is the moment to start writing down anything. But I don't just going to collect it. But secondly, if you do know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then can I invite you to align your dreams with our dreams and Jesus' dreams of living for Jesus and proclaiming Him to the end of the earth, beginning on campus. Sign up for a faculty group. Sign up for on board. Do it on Facebook. Sign up here. Let us know where we can meet you and when. And please give us your details. If you if you have already, can I encourage you to do it again anyway? Uh, because sometimes some a couple of bounce here and there, we'd love to have those details so that we can get in touch with you. But just very fine. We're not here to build the uni Bible group kingdom. We're here to testify to God's in this seemingly terrifying but exciting activity of proclaiming Jesus Christ at university to present everyone that you're in until Jesus I'll pray for a moment and someone else is going to pray. Now, Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you that Jesus is King. Please help us to align our dreams with his dreams for your glory. Amen. Someone else is going to leave some prayer as well. Thanks, Kate. And you've got ample time to get us your next lecture, tube, or whatever. Hi, everyone. I'm Claire. I'm a second year student studying arts and law. I'm going to leave this for today. Prayer is just talking to God and expressing our dependence on Him. Um, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come together and hear your word today. Thank you for the look of Acts and for everything that we were able to learn. We pray that you'll help us take today's message into our week and apply it to our lives as we continue to proclaim Christ and grow in Christian maturity. Help us to align our dreams with your dreams um, and proclaim you on campus. Thank you for the chance that we have to proclaim you here at university. Thank you for the chance that we had at O-Week to connect with people on campus and talk to everyone who came to our stall. We would like to pray for the 220 contacts that were made during O-Week. We pray that you will bless the follow-up that happened in the days following O-Week. We pray that the interest shown by so many people will not fade 
but rather growth and encourage them to come to talks, Bible studies, and faculty socials. We pray for onboard coming up soon. We pray for the planning as we approach onboard in the coming weeks. We pray that it will all be done to your glory and with your strength. We pray that you will bring many people along to onboard and that they will hear the gospel proclaimed and that they will continue to grow in Christ. And lastly, we pray for ECU at the University of Sydney, Cumberland, and their various events that they are running during the week. Thank you that so many people have already been contacted, and we pray that many more will come as the week progresses. Thank you for the two new staff workers joining their team, and we pray that as they join the group, they will settle in quickly to proclaim Jesus Christ at Cumberland to everyone on campus. We pray for all these things, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.